We're going to dig in here into the Word of God, finishing our Philippians series. We left off last week in Philippians chapter 4, 13, so you can turn there in your Bibles, or we have the scriptures on the screen as well. And Paul is right in the middle of saying, thank you to the Philippians. You know the story, Paul was in Rome, he was in prison, he was starving to death, and the Philippian church sends a guy by the name of Epaphroditus on an 800-mile trek across the Aegean to bring money to buy Paul food and groceries and water, and because of the Philippians' generosity, Paul was saved from death. That's awesome. So Paul is here in the end of this letter to the Philippians, and he's turning around and saying, thank you. And right after he says thank you, the next words out of Paul's mouth, if you remember from last week in uh, verse 11, are, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, which is like the mother of all disclaimers, right? I'm not saying thank you because I'm in need, right? Uh, For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty, I've learned the secret of being content, whether I'm hungry or full, whether I have a lot, whether I have a little, because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And now Paul goes on to say, yet, yet, meaning, okay, all that aside, it was good of you to share in my troubles, And by share, Paul means to give. You guys gave and shared in my troubles by helping me. And it's that Greek word koinonia, koinonia, which we're going to come back to. Some of you may know what that means, but we're going to come back to that. So remember that because he uses that word quite a bit. Verse 15, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, so meaning back when Paul first brought the gospel to that region, You guys remember the story in Acts? Acts like 16, he goes there. There's no synagogue. He goes out to the river, finds Lydia, who sells purple and makes like the couture awesome clothes. She lives in a home with fashion models and stuff like that. That's how they did it back then. So then when wealthy people would come and buy the high fashion clothes from them, they would have the models try it on. And Paul and Timothy, who had joined them, and uh, actually uh, Luke was there. He joined them, I think it was in Troas, and um, Silas. So there's four young single preachers that go on mission into the fashion industry and stay at a single lady's house with a bunch of models. May not fly in today's church world, right? It's kind of, a, kind of an interesting thing. And actually, um, who, who was it? I was reading, ah, I'm dropping his name right now, earlier this week, but he made a point. He said, when they leave the region, only Paul and Silas go. And two of the young single guys stay behind. So you draw your own conclusions from that. So God was at work in that family on mission. And, um, and then, of course, they find, this, they find this demon-possessed woman, starts following them along the street, saying, these are the men of God. Listen to what they have to say. And Paul casts out a demon from her. And as he does that, her owners hear about it, and they get furious because she's their cash cow. Like, you don't, it's like Paul set off gospel dynamite in the middle of their gold mine. They're ticked. You don't mess with people's money. Am I right? (laughs) So they beat them nearly to death. They throw them in prison. And at midnight, Paul and Silas are sitting there. And they start singing praises to God. And an earthquake shakes the place. The foundations are shaken. And they're set free from prison. You guys remember this story? And then the Philippian jailer, he's like freaked out. He thinks everybody's escaped. And Paul and Silas say, no, 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 no. We're all still here. Don't kill yourself because he's about to fall on his sword. And he says, what shall I do to be saved? 
So Paul and his, his missionary band go to his house, teach him the gospel, and their whole family saved. So when Paul's writing this letter, the people he's thanking are people like Lydia and people like the Philippian jailer who started the church here in this Roman colony of Philippi, right? He says, back when I set out with the gospel to you, not one church shared, there it is again, Quinnia, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. I've been all over, Paul says. I've planted all kinds of churches, Ephesus, Lyconium. I've planted churches all over the place, but nobody else seems to get it like you guys get it. 8-1. And actually, this is, I love this. He, um, He talks about how well the Philippians get this in his letter to the Corinthians. So he's like bragging on the Philippians to the Corinthians. Look at this in in, uh, Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. He says, "We, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace, which also can be interpreted generosity, of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, which is Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and the churches in that area. For in a severe test of affliction, it's like kind of an economic downturn, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, they're, they're not rich, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. What a strange formula. Like, think about that. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals a wealth of generosity? That's interesting. What the heck? It's almost like stuff doesn't make you happy. What a novel concept, right? And who knows this? Like, the poor know this. How many of you have ever been in the developing world and hung out with the poor? Yeah. The poor in the developing world can be some of the most generous people on the planet. I remember we went down to Mexico, and we were doing some missions kind of over in the, in the ghetto part of Tijuana on the east side, and uh, there was a family that was running an orphanage there, and their house was like about the size of my living room, and we complain about the size of our house in downtown, right? But their entire like shanty shack was, was tiny, and we sat in there, and we were just visiting with them, and they gave us coffee. And we're like, no, 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 it's okay, we don't. And no, 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 we want to give you coffee. And I saw her like scooping the instant coffee out of the bottom of the like Maxwell thing to give us coffee. And then they wanted to give us food. They wanted to make tortillas for us. And we're just like, no, guys, it's okay. They had to give it. They wanted to share. They were so generous. He goes on to say, verse three, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. It's giving. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You get it, Paul is saying here here in 2 Corinthians. I've been all over. I've shared the gospel and nobody else gets it like you. I had to write two chapters to the church at Corinth about giving, right? And you guys, because they just didn't get it, but you guys get it. So I've got this little piece at the end of the letter that's basically a thank you because of how generous you've been. Then he goes on to say, back in Philippians, verse 17, not that I desire your gifts, I'm not seeking your money, but what I desire is that more be credited to your account. So there's something else going on here under the surface that we're gonna discover today. 
I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Paul's like, dude, stop sending me money. I've got everything I need. And he goes on to say, those gifts, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Okay, so whatever this is about, this isn't about Paul. This isn't about the church. This is about God. And he says, verse 19, one of my favorite verses, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I know you're poor. I get that. I'm in prison. I've been hungry. I've been homeless. I get it. But my God will supply all your needs because he's not poor, right? According to his riches in glory. Then Paul says, closes out Philippians, to our God and the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet God's people and Jesus Christ, the brothers and sisters who are with me. Send greetings. And all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, be with you in spirit. Amen. Now, whenever you talk about money in the church, from the Bible, and you're a pastor, I've been looking forward to this for, for weeks. <laughs> it's a touchy subject. Can we agree? Yeah. I'm on pins and needles. And I'm in good company today because it seems like Paul's on pins and needles. Like if you look at what he says, verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Yet it was, it was good for you to share my troubles, but verse 17, not, not that I desire the gifts. I, I desire more to be credited to your account. So even Paul, just in thanking them about money, seems to be on pins and needles. Why? Well, because back in his day, there's these guys called sophists. And they'll travel around the empire going from city to city. And they'll preach in the open air or they'll give oration. And they'll gather a crowd to themselves and then they'll get money. They'll fleece the congregation and they'll take off. And Paul, on the outside, kind of looks like this, right? He goes from town to town. He orates in the open air. He gathers a following. And sometimes he has to talk about money. And so he's on pins and needles, right? He's scared. And, and the same thing is is true for me because I, sh- I struggled so much in preparing this week, I'll be honest with you. I grew up in a culture like where sometimes money was preached on and it wasn't always preached on in the best gospel-centered way. And we saw people like living the high life, fat on the hog. If you're from the South, you know what that means. I'm not, I don't even know what that means, but we've, <laughs> I've heard it. And, you know, like the private jets and that kind of thing. And so, oh yeah, I'm like nervous to preach on this because there's, you know, the televangelists and the megachurch pastors that have given a black eye to the cause of Christ when we talk about money. And so it's a scary thing. It's not popular. I don't like walk around the city and blast out to people, yeah, I'm a pastor. It's not popular to be a pastor right now in this day and age because there's such a distrust of religious leadership. So I'm caught between two worlds caught between two worlds because if I stand up here and talk about money, I, I run the risk that you'll be suspect. But if I don't stand up and talk about money, if I ignore an issue that's central to the way of Jesus, I'm not doing you or me any favors, am I? You know that 25% of Jesus' teachings were on money in some form or another? Greed, generosity. Can you imagine if one out of every four sermons here at New City was about money? like people would be fighting to get in here right (laughs) 
So in part, because we're a young church, for whatever reason, we haven't preached on it a lot, but we need to today. So here's the deal. I love you. I don't know whether you love me or not, but I love you. And I'm not after your money, but I'm going to be faithful. I'm just going to go for it in the word. Is that all right? Okay, cool. So here's the deal. The text in front of you is a gold mine. There's too much to dig out. There's all these layers, but there's four points we're going to focus on, and that's giving is good, giving is partnership, giving is reciprocation, and giving is worship. That's the four things that I really saw in the text this week. So let's dive in. He starts off, he says, the first words in this passage, yet it was good of you to share. And by share, Paul means give. It was good of you to give. And that language isn't on accident. It's on purpose. Paul is digging back into the first verses of Philippians that we covered a few weeks ago. Remember Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in that all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership. That's that word koinonia again. In the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Then verse 7, all of you share, that's that word again, koinonia, in God's grace, which can be translated generosity with me. All of you share in God's generosity. Meaning what? Meaning God is generous. Can I get a witness God is generous. Write that down. Memorize it. Don't forget that. Like the very nature of God. God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is one, and he exists in an endless community of self-giving love and joy. When God created the world, it was out of the overflow, the outpouring of his community of self-giving love and joy. And that love and joy continues to spill out on all of creation, into his kingdom, onto his people, in you and me for the glory of God. And like God, we are called to be a community of self-giving love and joy because that's what God is like. Every day, I wake up and I breathe God's oxygen. Every day, we walk around and we eat by God's generosity. We breathe by God's generosity. We move. We live. You're saved because God is generous. You're reconnected to the Father through the finished work of Christ on the cross because God is generous. Your story is being rewritten every day by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life because God is generous. You're living a new story that ends in resurrection because God is generous. God's not stingy. God is generous. And when you reflect God's generosity, something happens. Notice what Paul says. He picks up on the language in the beginning of the letter. And in verse 14 of chapter 4 in our text today, he says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. All of you share in God's grace with me. And it was good of you to share in my troubles, meaning that when you're generous, in the same way that God is generous, you tap into something good. You tap into the very nature of God. You're in sync, you're in rhythm, you're in step with what God is like, and you're freed from greed and filled with joy. You need to understand something today that giving is God's cure for greed, 
We all need to get that today. I don't know about you, I'm pretty materialistic. I like stuff. I like architecture and furniture and the newest, hippest, coolest gadgets, stuff that's expensive. I get sucked in. And when I do, I find myself robbed of joy and filled with discontent. And the next thing you know, like, I just want this and I want that newer, cooler thing. More, more, more. It's never enough. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. But when you give, even though it's counterintuitive, it's maybe opposite of what you think, when you give, you're set free from that burning desire for more. Think back to last week, what Paul's talking about when he talks about contentment. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. When we're content, we're set free from greed, the anxiety, the fear that comes with bills, from the discontentment that's so rampant in our society, and you're free to be generous and filled with joy. I remember my cousin Jeff, who came and spoke here a couple of times, Jeff Garner, who pastors in San Fran, he was telling me that He was away on a speaking engagement and he came back to San Francisco. But while he was there, he was literally having dreams at night about this burrito that he loves. It's like his favorite burrito in San Francisco. And so he said he flew back in and he went straight to the burrito place, got that burrito, unwrapped it, just smelled it. He's walking around the corner toward the building where their church meets. And a guy says, hey man, are you going to eat that? And so Jeff said, he gave him the burrito. And at first he was like, ah, I'm just kind of torn inside. <laughs> but then he was like, you know, God set that up. God put that in my heart to give it. And he said, the more he prayed and thought about that through the day, even though it really bothered him at first, <laughs> the more he thought about that through the day, the more joy he had. And he said, by the end of the day, he was so filled with joy way more joy than he would have had at eating the burrito because he gave away. He said, I could go buy another burrito. That's not the point, right? But God put it on my heart to give it. When you learn the joy of giving, you're set free from greed and filled with joy because you've tapped into the very nature of our generous God. Amen? Amen. Giving is our response to God's grace and generosity to us. God is generous, and we've all received the blessings of that, so in response, we are generous. Giving is good. Also, giving is partnership. Point number two. Not only between God and us, we share in his nature, but, but between us and his family. There's a partnership in giving between those who live of the gospel and those who give to it. Look at what Paul says in verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into Koinonia partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs again and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment. There's that word, Koinonia. What does that mean? Well, if you look at the definition of it, it means familial fellowship. Everybody say family. The close association between persons, emphasizing what is common between them. By extension, participation, sharing, contribution, gift, the outcome of such close relationships. So every time Paul is using this word over and over in this letter, he's weaving a tapestry, a theme throughout this letter that we are family on mission together. 
God has shared his gracious generosity with us and we're family on mission, so we're partnering and sharing in his ongoing work. And there's four phrases he uses in this little section. He uses the phrases shared, giving and receiving, credited to your account, and full payment, which are all semi-technical language. Like they're straight out of a Greco-Roman partnership business agreement, right? It's the image of these two parties coming together and pooling resources to grow a business. So Paul is saying, listen, in the same way, we are partners together for the kingdom of God. We come together, me and you, and we pull resources together for God's kingdom. And it's not to grow a business, it's not to make money, but it's to grow the kingdom of God. We make sacrifices for the kingdom of God. We're in this together. We both have something that we're giving. We both have resources I shared the gospel with you. I shared my life with you. I shared my time with you. I gave of everything that I had to you. And because of my generosity, you know Jesus and are growing in the faith. And because of your generosity, I'm not dead. I can still go out and preach the gospel. And not only that, but now the gospel is thriving right here in the epicenter of the empire. It's good news. And it's the same thing for us today. I could say the same thing. Because of your generosity week after week, whether it's giving during the offering or sending your giving texts via Mogev or however you choose to give, because of that, I'm alive. My family's got food and shelter, right? I'm not dead. My, the Larson kids, thank you very much for that. But not only that, right? God is at work all around the world. And I could tell story after story. We send a quarterly uh, update. If you're a giver regularly here at the church, you'll get a quarterly update about where our giving has gone. But uh, just quickly, for example, some reports, 10% of every dollar goes immediately out the door away from New City. 10% of every dollar that comes in goes to support missions, both locally and globally. You know, by the grace of God last year, we helped start two church plants right here in San Diego. Restored South Bay, Pastor Danny Quimlot, which is rocking. They've got, they've got like 100 people already just rocking down in South Bay. God is really doing a work down there. And then um, think about it, Koinoneo, you're a partner in that. By extension, you're a church planter, okay? And Bobby Reif, who came and spoke here a few months ago up in University City, Bobby's planting a church. And he, Kenny and I just went and hung out with him the other night, and he said to us, he was just like, like overflowing, like at the point of tears, and he was like, guys, you made the difference. You don't understand. I was fundraising. I didn't know where funds were coming from. I was getting turned down. You guys were the first ones to partner with me. And he gave me the confidence to say, all right, God is actually calling me to this. And now they're getting ready in a month to start Sunday gatherings. Like, that's because of your generosity. That's all because of what you guys have done. The, the SOMA leadership team. So there's this group of like just apostolic leaders that are helping equip church planners, starting church planning organizations. They're all over in Europe right now and they're doing all kinds of work over there starting church plans and equipping church planners. We give to that. We gave to that last year over and over monthly to see churches planted. Next year, I'm stoked. We're joining, a, there's a network called Pacific Church Network and we're gonna plant seven new churches next year because of your generosity. The work of God is going out all around the world and all in SoCal because of what this church has done. And we've also supported 
right? We've also supported several other missions groups. And there's a saying I think is true, that holds true of our church. Some give by going, others go by giving. So when you give to the kingdom of God, it's you're sending part of yourself. You're sending your finances ahead to God's kingdom to, to see souls saved. Um, I asked Kenny to come up and just kind of help share really quickly uh, some of the other missions endeavors. Like uh, last year we gave to Open Doors International. Anybody ever heard of Open Doors? One of us. Cool. So Kenny, tell us briefly about... Thanks. Just so it makes the recording so people aren't like, what did Kenny say? <laughs> I'll just cut I'll it out. The mic. Um, yeah, so... Uh, about a year ago, I was able to go on a, a trip with a few other pastors to uh, uh, Indonesia and meet a lot of ministers over there who are yeah, that's better who are um, reaching out to uh, people who don't believe in Jesus and actually people who are hostile to the gospel. And I and I met with uh, we met with one ministry leader who they had I think. It was over 10 years or so before they had one convert. And now they have, um, I think, about 700 people that meet in different missional communities about the same size as ours that have to meet secretly in their homes because they were being persecuted for their faith. Their lives are in danger for their faith. I met a pastor whose uh, house was burned down and his family barely uh, missed that. And yet, two years later, God called them back to the same village that burned their house down for being Christians. And now they're leading people to Jesus. Um, and when we got back, um, we were just moved uh, as, as the pastors to say, how can we help? And so we were able to send uh, them a gift to, to basically say, you guys uh, use that to the best way. Um, you know, because even when we were there, no, no one asked us for money. They said, what, what can we give you? How can we help? And they said, pray, pray for us. We're praying for the church in the U.S. Pray for us. And um, so we're, we're, we're partners with them in that. Um, another brief thing Vince asked me to mention was just the, um, the school in, in, in Kibera, Kenya, which is a, a slum area of Nairobi, um, that we uh, partner with. And you guys, a lot of you have heard me talk about it before. Um, a few of us from the church have been there um, in 2013. Uh, we went and, and did a brief um, tour. We've got a few pictures. All right, so there's Kenya, beautiful country, Nairobi, amazing city. And then there's some slum areas around. Kibera is the one there at the bottom. Um, and that's where the, uh, the school is um, that we've met with. And you can go to the next one. Um, when we went in 2013, this was just a picture of one of the school buildings. It's just metal, um, tin metal on the sides and sticks. And uh, you see that, that bench right there? That's a, that's a desk for a lot of kids. This is their school. There's not like another room, like it's a dirt floor. And, um, uh, and, and all of the kids here ha um, are uh, orphaned. So they either uh, have lost one or two parents. Um, and they can't afford school, and so everything is run on donations. And so we've, we've partnered with them. This, you can go to the next picture. Just a couple pictures from when we were there. Um, go to the next one. Um, at this time, so that's from the outside looking into the school. And uh, at this time when we had visited, they had, they had raised enough money to buy a plot of land and begin building a, an actual building um, for the kids. And um, when we got back, we were just thinking, how can we serve? How can we bless? And so um, we were able to send them uh, an amount, and, and uh, you can go to the next one. 
that was actually while we were still there, we uh, gave shoes. I think it was 23 kids gave shoes who didn't have uh, shoes. Um, and next one. This is Monica, the, the lady um, from Cabrera who God put on her heart to start this uh, school and feeding center for uh, orphans and kids who couldn't afford school or have meals every day. And uh, this is Cindy, our contact in the States, who started a nonprofit here that just raises money and, and blesses them. So the next one, I think we have one more. Oh, so when we, when we sent our gift, they said they would be able to buy like 25 desks with chairs um, for the new school, and they would be able to buy a, a blackboard because as of, um, as of that time, they were just drawing with chalk on the walls because they didn't have any blackboards. So with what you guys were able um, to give and bless them with, we have table, they have um, desks now, chairs, they have a blackboard, they have a filing cabinet, um, and they were overflowing with thanks um, to our church for blessing them in that way. Amen. That's... Yeah. We're just one little tiny church plant. It's been around for a year and a half, and God is doing this kind of work. Our Christmas offering went to a, a couple's doing this work up in Barrio Logan in, or Sherman in a school and where half the kids live below the poverty line and about 20% of the kids are homeless. And we were able to give a Christmas offering to them to give them food and gifts for Christmas. And the lady from Restored, she came to me when I went and preached over there just bawling, crying. She said, we didn't expect your church to be so generous. We didn't expect that amount. I think we were able to give 1300 to them to buy clothes and toys and stuff for Christmas. Zach and Becca just got back from Africa. We were able to help send them um, for several weeks. Like, how long were you guys gone? It seemed like five years. What? 10 weeks, yeah, to do some work. Five years, 10 weeks. Yeah, God is at work for justice. Not only in San Diego, but in the whole world. And that's just what God is doing through the 10% that our church is giving, not even mentioning the rest, not mentioning what God is doing through you, through the countless hours that you've donated through missional communities and gospel communities all around San Diego, through the times you've hung out with your neighbors and planted gardens and bought lunch for your coworkers and listened to this story and shared the gospel and, and given your heart to people and cleaned the streets, the healings, the evidences of grace, the baptisms, the ton of new amazing things that God is going to be doing that we're rolling out over the next few months. God is at work in amazing ways, and you are sharing in his grace. You're sharing in his generosity. His generosity is on display in your life week after week as you give to his kingdom and you're generous. You live like a community overflowing self-giving love and joy. And like Paul is doing here with Philippians, I just want to say on behalf of the kingdom of God, thank you. Thank you. I don't know whether I have the authority to say that or not actually, but it's already out there, so I said it. Thank you. Thank you from the countless souls that would have never heard the gospel. Thank you from people who may never, ever be able to tell you thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing, the generosity you're giving to God and his kingdom. Mm. Number three, giving is reciprocated. The more you give, the more gives God gives you to steward. Now this, this is a tricky one, right? He says in verse 17, 
Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Meaning that when you wake up and you experience the reality that you're a conduit for God's blessings, including money, to flow through you to those in need, that your bank account is a means to an end in the best way possible. When you wake up to that reality, Jesus says, you're a steward. Our modern term for that, you're a money major, a money manager. It's not my money, it's God's. When you say that, God says, all right, here's someone who gets it. And in theory, God puts more in your lap to steward. Not for you to hoard, but for you to steward for his purposes, to, to participate in the divine, generous nature of God. And there's a, there's a theology out there that was on the fringes of Christianity, and now it's kind of moving into the center called prosperity theology. Have you guys heard of this? Prosperity theology. And it's just rampant. It's taking people off base from the gospel. And it's this, this basic theology that says, if you give money to God, God will give money to you. Essentially, God is a cosmic vending machine. And if you play your cards right, you can get a lot of cool stuff. So it's like you're giving the offering on Sunday, 10 bucks. Hey, God, here's 10 bucks. Hint, hint. You know, bring it on. Prosperity theology is not loving God. It's using God to get what you really love, which is money. Prosperity theology is wrong. It's a perversion of a healthy theology of money. So people react to it. And what's happened in Christianity is there's been a reaction against it, and a lot of people have gone the other way to a poverty theology, which is like, money's bad, money's dirty, just get it, get it, get it away from me, get that dirt off your shoulders, you know what I mean? It's just like, we gotta, we gotta get rid of the money. And so um, they use scriptures like the love of money is the root of all evil. It's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than a camel through an eye of a needle. So I'm just going to be like Francis of Assisi. I'm going to denounce my worldly possessions. And it sounds holy. It sounds pious. It sounds like a really good thing to do. But it's still using stuff to get close to God. Instead of accruing things, right, for favor of God. It's like, it's like throwing things away. It's the same error of prosperity theology. It's just the opposite. Okay, both, both of them say, like, I'm going to use stuff to mediate between me and God. But what scripture say? There's one mediator between God and man. Who's that? The man Christ Jesus. Yeah. So how, how you use your stuff doesn't get you closer to God. Christ does. Amen? Man, so prosperity theology says if I have stuff, I'm blessed and highly favored. Poverty theology says if I don't have stuff, I'm blessed and highly favored. And the gospel says, no, you're blessed and highly favored because you have Christ. And he's your all in all. I mean, that's what Paul was saying, right, last week. Paul said, hey, I've learned to have little, and I've learned to have a lot. So Paul's saying it's not about how much you have and he said, I could, I, I'm content to have both. Why? Because I have Christ, and Christ gives me strength. Christ is what he needed. So Paul tells us, give not to increase your level of living, but to increase your level of giving to God in his kingdom. You guys tracking? Okay, cool. Paul's theology of giving doesn't line our pockets, and it doesn't empty them. But he doesn't say that money doesn't matter. What does he say? He says money matters. It's good to give. It's partnership with God in his generous and loving, joyous nature and gracious mission. Giving is partnership with God's family who are generously pouring out their lives for the gospel. And when you give, God will supply all of your needs. When you give to God, 
God puts more in your lap for the sake of the gospel. It's not for you. It's for his mission. It's for you to give. Amen? And here's another line from Paul um, talking about this to the Corinthians, who, unlike the Philippians, they just don't get it, right? We, we've talked about this. And in ver- um, I think it's in chapter 9, verse 6, and Paul's expounding on a theology of generosity. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. So every time you get your paycheck, sit down, pray. You get a chance to stop with your wife and kids and pray, God, what should we give? It goes on, verse, uh, what is this? verse 7 continued. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? What does God love? Cheerful giver. A ha-ha giver. That's the kind of giver God loves. Everybody say a ha-ha giver. Yeah. Liven this place up. And God is able to bless you abundantly. You will be enriched in every way so that you can become generous on every occasion. See, if he just says you'll be enriched in every way and stop there, that's prosperity theology. But he says, so that what? So that you can be generous on every occasion. God promises you will have enough for his mission in and through your life. You'll be sufficient. You will have enough. So question for you guys real quick. I just want to ask you, why don't we give? Why are we stingy? When you guys, I, I, I know many of you have never experienced that stinginess that happens when it's offering time, but just let, let, let's talk about that real quick. When it does happen, or if it ever happened to a friend of yours, why did it happen? Anybody? Why does it happen? Say that one more time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, why else don't we do it? What are some other motivations that creep up in our heart? Fear? fear? Yeah, fear of what? Yeah, man, if I give this to God, then I'm, I'm not in control of it anymore. Now I really got to depend. Yeah, it's fear. What else? This idea of like prizing, building your own kingdom. Like I, I have resources mm. kind of getting more established. Yeah, I've got these resources and they're for my kingdom. What's Jesus' prayer? Right, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So these resources are for God's kingdom, but man, we, we love to think that they're for our kingdom, don't we? I'm guilty of that. I do that. I do that. I get a little extra money and I'm thinking about the things that we could use for the house, the upgrades that we could spend it on. My kingdom, my way. Paul says, God will provide so that you'll always have enough to give more. My God will supply all your needs. How? According to his riches. Not according to your needs, according to his riches. We, we think from that scarcity mentality, right? God, there's just not enough to go around. I have to hoard this. But God's a God of abundance. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not going to run out of supply. He's always going to give enough into his mission. The question is, is he going to give it through you? to his mission. Where did Paul get this idea? Well, from Jesus. It's kind of an authority on this topic. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, 38, give 
and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be poured into your lap. So a little imagery from an ancient Near East market, you'd go in, this is before grocery bags, which by the way, buy a usable grocery bag. The earth is the Lord's, right? But this is before that. They'd go in with the bathrobe and they'd just kind of lean in and the guy would pour grain into their robe. And if he was a generous merchant, right, he would say, shake it, and shake it, and it'd settle and he'd press it down and he'd pour more in. Shake it, press it down, pour more in. That's the imagery that Jesus is using. And then Jesus says, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's where Paul gets this idea. That's truth. That's our Jesus. The more you give, the more you wake up to the reality that your money is just a means to an end. Here we're, here we're blessed. We're the wealthiest society that's ever existed in the world. The poverty line in San Diego is like $26,000. Do you realize if you make $26,000, you're in the top 10% of the world's population? I know that's hard to live on here in Western society. I know it's tough, but we, like you're in the top 10% of the richest people in the entire world. When you wake up to the reality, God says, okay, you get it. He puts more into your lap to steward and generously partner with him and his family on mission. It's kind of like, uh, anybody ever water your lawn or, which you can't do now, you get like fined for it, but <laughs> you have a water hose and you turn it on. What happens if you get a crimp in the hose? Ever have that happen? Especially with the old hoses, it happened all the time. Every time I was a kid, I was doing the car wash, crimps in the hoses, man, what happens? The water stops, right? Wait a second, it's open, it's flowing. Yeah, but it doesn't have anywhere to go. It doesn't have anywhere to flow out, so it stops flowing. That's a crude example. That it's, that's kind of how God has created us. He pours into one hand, and if we close this hand and hold on to it for ourselves, and we use it for us in our kingdom, it seems like the scripture's saying it stops flowing, but when we open that up and we're generous with God's work, when we're sending it to places where God is at work, he keeps pouring in because he says that person gets it. They get the generosity of the kingdom. They get the generosity of their God. For those of you thinking, how can I? I'm in debt. I have literally no room. There's nothing I have to give. I'm scared. Verse 19, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. We have to get this today. What I love about generosity is this. When you give, you see God's provision in miraculous ways. In particular, when you give till it hurts. When you get your paycheck and you sit down and you partner with God and you say, okay, I gave my basic amount, my 10%, whatever it is that you've already agreed to God to give. Now, God, what do you want to do with the rest? This is your money. I'm your, I'm your money manager. What do you want to do with your money? When you live by faith like that, God says, I will provide every one of your needs. When you live that way, you get to see God provide in miraculous ways. And those of you that know that, you get the art of giving. I see a few people like nodding their heads and some of you are just like dazed. Like deer in the headlights. What are you talking about, Vince? That's n there's no way that's true. God bless you wherever you're at. But you see it, you see God provide. I can directly chart seasons of my life where I've been stingy in seasons of my life where I've been generous and man, you see God at work here and God at work there. Wow, look at what God is doing. That's how it works. And the Philippians got this. He says in verse 18, 
I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. He's essentially saying, okay, I have enough. Stop giving. Why? They believe so strongly in a generous God, they wouldn't stop giving. You ever go to your grandma's house? And she's like, are you hungry? I'm like, nah, grandma, I'm cool. I'm, I'm good. Okay, um, but would you like a quesadilla? No, I'm good, really. I have some cereal. Man, I'm full, all right? I've had, I've had enough. I went to Fogo to shop. I took Kenny out. It's his 30th birthday. I'm like, we're doing it right. So we went to Fogo to Shao. And I was so full. And the guys keep bringing the meat around. They're like, you want some more steak? I'm like, no, man, I'm full. I told you already. Then I realized I had the little green thing on green instead of red. And just kept trying to give me, you know, food. Anyway. Um, <laughs> can you imagine me standing up and saying, like, in, in a month, like, hey, hey guys, look, um, no offering today. We have more than enough money, so just don't worry about giving. No offering, no offering today. That's what Paul is doing. That's, what, that's the imagery here. And that's what our giving should be like. Not stingy, not cheap, not the bare minimum. It should be generous. If you believe God is your provider because you can't outgive God. It's that saying, like, I, I hate that saying, actually, but it's biblical. Give until it hurts. You guys seen that saying? You know you're becoming more like Christ when you give until it hurts. Think of Jesus. Like, did Jesus just give the bare minimum? I'm not saying that to guilt you or anything. Just honestly, the love of God. He gave his life. Was that easy? Was that comfortable? God is generous. Our God gives until it hurts. When you do the same thing, you're revealing his character in your life. You're putting his generous nature on display. You're glorifying him. And maybe for you, it just means starting with something small if you've never given or maybe if you've given here and there, maybe it means starting with like a, like a tithe or a percentage. Or maybe it means moving on from that to becoming generous like our God. But whatever you do over time, it will become a life-giving art in your life. And you will grow in your generosity. And the odds are you'll grow in your ability to steward God's resources. We need to get that. Our giving is free to be generous because our God is generous. What do you have to give? No matter what, even if you don't have a dollar in your pocket, you have time, you have talents, you have abilities. To, God created you to be generous. You're in his image. And if you're being generous, you're displaying his image. And guess what? If we're not being generous, we're distorting and perverting his image on display for people. We're not living a life of generosity that shows people what God is like. Last point as we kind of wind things down. Number four, giving is worship. Giving is always to God, not to Paul, not the church, not to Vince, not to any person. You are giving when you give to God. Verse 18, your giving is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. All of that language is straight out of the temple era. The sacrifices that they'd bring in, you know, they'd bring in, um, whether it was like in the ancient world, it was livestock and crops. Today, it's, it's green shreds of paper in your pocket or, you know, digital or plastic numbers, right? Back then, it was goats, bulls, bread, wine. It was currency. You were giving out the temple to God, and a percentage was set aside for the priests and Levites and the men who worked and made a living at the temple who enabled uh, Israel to worship. But the priests made a living, but you weren't giving to them. You were giving to God, and Paul says in the same way, yes, you were giving gifts for me, but to clarify, you're not giving it to me. 
Yes, I'm living right now in your generosity, but you're giving to God. What you're doing is enabling the kingdom of God to grow. Back then, like all over the empire, today, all over the world. And you have to get that. Paul says, when you give, it's unto God. The same is true for you and me. Because giving is an act of worship. And I love how Paul ends this scripture in verse, verse 20. He says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice how Paul flows right from a theology of generosity to doxology. It's like he breaks out in song. It's like, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Like worship for thousands of years has always been about sacrifice. And I would just throw a point in, this is just a nugget. Like if your worship doesn't cost you something, examine whether or not it's actually worship. Right? Worship is about sacrifice. And when we give, it's not about fundraising. It's not a tax write-off. It's not guilt and shame and pressure and lock the back doors. No, that, that's next week. Okay? But it's not, hey, I'm earning God's love. No, it's worship when we give. People who are loved, people who are blessed by a generous God, whose self-giving love and joy, joy like pours out over the world, it's responding to that. It's saying, God, here, here you go. Your kingdom come, your will be done, your gospel go forward. Your spirit save people, your love heal people. This is yours and I'm participating in your generous nature. You know, San Diego's 17.3% evangelical. Communist China is 14%. So San Diego, according to recent polls, is, is only 3%, 3.4% more Christian than mainland communist China. That's our city. It's a mission field. Unchristian, materialistic. How many of you want to change that? How many of you don't want that to be the legacy of your kids? Yeah. Giving is an act of worship. God, here you go. Let's change our city, our world. Let's partner in your generous healing work. Giving is an act of worship. It's a response to the generosity of our triune God, who is a community of self-giving love and joy. God is a father that loves so much. What does he say in John 3, 16? Everybody knows that one, right? For God so, what? Loved the world that he gave. He gave. This last Sabbath, I was reading, um, yeah, I actually told Kenny about this. I was just, all of a sudden, I was in the middle of, of drinking something and reading like a Steinbeck novel. And I just had this impulse, like from God, to say, like God was like, hey, you're not really spending time with me right now. Okay, so I, I grabbed the Bible and went out to the courtyard, just left my life there. And I started reading Isaiah and I read Isaiah 12 through 24. And Isaiah um, chapter 13, like there was a lot of stuff just really hitting my heart. But in chapter 13, there was this verse and it's, it's a gory verse, but he says, their infants will be dashed in pieces before their eyes. And their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. And as I read that, I was like, oh, putting myself in their place, like thinking of Gavin. My little Gavin with that cute little smile. Just trying not to imagine him being dashed in pieces. And in that moment, I understood something, I think, emotionally for the first time. I've gotten it theologically, but emotionally I haven't really understood it the kind of love a father has for his son, the kind of love that the father had for his son, Jesus. 
It would be like letting Gavin be torn to pieces. Could I do that? No way. I love him so much. I, I love you guys. I don't think I could do that for any one of you. How much love the father has for his son. What's that mean about how much love he has for you? How much love he has for me that he would allow him to go through that temporary suffering, to be broken, to be crucified so that he could have you and I. That's the generosity of our God, right? That's the generosity. The father loved you so much he gave his son. His son willingly, Jesus, it doesn't stop there. Jesus wasn't just reluctant about it. Bible says Jesus gave, right? He willingly gave up his place in heaven and gave his life for us. I'm gonna read this one last time in this, this series and it's from uh, Philippians chapter two. This is, this is about Jesus giving, Jesus' love for you. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, he gave everything. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The Father gave And then Jesus gave. And then Jesus said, it's better if I leave because you know what I'm gonna give you? I'm gonna give you my spirit who will live within us, giving us life, giving us joy, giving us love, outpouring the very nature of God within us like a fountain springing up from within and transforming us every day. If you feel convicted about your lack of generosity today, remember the father gave his son to pardon us from our stinginess. You're forgiven for being stingy. I'm forgiven for being stingy. That is good news. And Jesus gave his perfect life and died in your place. He gave his generosity and became our stinginess on the cross. Our stinginess was crucified and nailed to the cross with him so that we could be generous. So we could be free to love and give and trust our generous God to provide our needs as we give to his And he sent his spirit to empower you out of a new heart made alive by his generosity to live a generous life beyond yourself. You pray with me. I thank you so much for your love that you've shown for us in Christ. Thank you. It was was by your generosity you created the earth. We were literally created because of your generosity. It's your generosity that keeps us moving and breathing and living. And it's for partnership in your generosity that you've done it. It's for us to learn to be more like you, to be a generous people, God. And I pray that we would become generous people. I pray that if we're not, that we would pray to become generous people. I pray that if we don't wanna be, that we would pray to wanna become generous people like our God, because giving is good because it's sharing in and displaying the generous nature of our God who is a community of self-giving love and joy. Because giving's an expression of trust in you because we believe that you will supply our needs. 
because giving is a response to you because you've given us all things in Christ. So I pray as we come down here and receive communion that we would repent once again of our stinginess and we would thank you for the areas of our life that are generous and we would look to you and your generosity as the main motivation for us becoming more of a generous people. That we wouldn't feel beat down or broken or, or you know, condemned at all today but that we would feel thankful because of your generosity that covers us and that we would come down here with a desire to become more like you in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we come down here for um, communion, we're gonna gather in groups of two or three and then we're gonna sing a song afterwards.